Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. Ah, it's good to see you. You're in good hands here. You got... I've only just met Beck, but uh, Andrew is a good man and what a great family. And um, is it Miranda? Wow. What a superstar you are. What a great future you've got. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I have been hearing a lot about your church this year and just the good things that have been happening and the people who are being added and the lives being changed. I mean, that's, that's really the most exciting thing about all of this is, is the people who are finding hope and people finding Jesus and going on a journey of faith and life transformation and discovering why you've been put on the planet. And it's just exciting to see. And, you know, this place isn't big enough for you. I mean, there's room to grow, and this is great. What a blessing this place is. You've got room to expand, and you've already grown in three years. What a miracle story this is. But you're just getting started. Uh, in, in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 37.30, it says, In the first year, you'll eat from what is there. In the second year, you'll eat from what springs from that. In the third year, sow, because you're going to reap a harvest. Well, this is your third year. This is you've had three years here on Sunday mornings, but you know the harvest that's about to be reaped. It takes time for the fruit to come, and you are just getting started. Enlarge the place of your habitation. Stretch out, strengthen, and lengthen. And if you're here because you like small church, I like small churches. I like small church. I, we can get to know each other and, and get to connect and, and feel like you know, you're noticed and so on. You can be a big church and still feel like a small church. Uh, if you're here because you, I, I only like a small church. I, I'm, I hope I'm not going to offend everyone and they're just all going to be like, oh, no, where are we going? Now I'm out of here. Uh, this, not long, this is going to be a big church. It's already a big-spirited church. And God's doing something here. It's exciting to see. And um, Bo, hey, that's awesome. I, that was, this team is fantastic. Man, brilliant. Um, all right, I've got to do the obligatory guest preacher thing because I don't know you, you don't know me, all right? So uh, they've actually given me a few minutes just to introduce ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, I've brought the family photo and everything. All right, we're going to have slideshow. I'm going to show you our last family holidays, and we're going to go through everywhere we went, what we ate. And so I think the guys have got the, the picture. We can just chuck that up on there. They're looking, they're scratching their head going, ah, no, where's the photo? Steph, where'd you put the photo? That's all right. If you don't have the photo, that's fine. Um, you'll just have to believe me when I say that we have three children. Um, uh, our eldest is 23, well, girl, boy, girl. Uh, 23 years old, 21 years old, and 18 years old. And we're just, we're blessed. Uh, Alana and I have been pastoring for a long, 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 long time. Um, about 27 years now uh, in ministry. 
and uh, been on a big journey of pastoring our own church and planting churches and being part of teams of of all different sized churches and seeing different kinds of things happen. And this year we've stepped into a whole brand new season um, where we are having the really the privilege of being able to get around and visit a whole lot of different churches all over the place and to spend time with the pastors and teams and speak into them and speak into churches and see what God's doing. God is doing good things right across the place. I mean, like there are so many good things happening in churches all across the country. It's amazing. It's exciting. And including places like here. And so we've been able to get around and do that. And I've started a new job as the uh, as a chaplain for the Queensland Police Service. And uh, so I've got about 3,000 police and their families to look after and, and all the new recruits and everything as well. And it's a massive job. Uh, I don't know. Is there anyone here in the police service? Really? Hello. How are you? I'm on the other side of town from you, though. I'm on the. I look after the South Brisbane district and everything that sits in there. But if you, what's your name, Marianne? Awesome. You should just all thank Marianne after the service. Say thank you to her for what she does. In fact, whenever you see someone, uh, see a police officer, uh, if you go up to, here's how you can make a police officer feel incredibly awkward. You just go up to them and say, hey, I just want to say thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service. And they'll get so awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and it's like they don't know what to do. Oh, thanks. But, but it actually means a lot to them. It means so much to them to say thank you for what they do. And there are so many good people doing an incredible job and putting up with a lot of stuff. And so I have the privilege of coming alongside them and helping and supporting and it's been an intense six months in this new role. Um, I've seen things I thought I would never see um, and done things. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's like a, it's a God opportunity. It's just like a divine open door. And I feel really blessed to be a part of that. And every day, and you should do the same thing. Every day on my way to work, I pray and say, God, let this be another day of, the, the Hebrew word is koror. Koror means right place at the right time. And I just pray, God, let this be another day of Koror moments. May I be the right person in the right place at the right time with the right words. And you wouldn't believe how many times uh, I've gone into a station or gone into a room or gone into a, a, a unit and they literally will say to me, Padre, this is perfect timing. This is perfect timing. That's what, that's that. that's what I'm asking God for. And you can do the same. Uh, whatever you step into every week, asking God, put me in the right place at the right time. And who knows what God can do in and through our lives. Amen. All right. You ready for the word? All right. What clock's going to be up there? Because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Because that says 25, and you told me I'd have 35. So. (laughs) Uh, It's all good. Father. As we come around your word, I thank you. Your word is living and active. Your word is powerful. Your word is full of life. Your word is potent. Would you speak to us today, every single one of us in this place, whether this is our first time ever in a church or this is our first time in a long time or we are here all the time. 
I thank you that you are going to speak to every one of us. Encounter us, meet with us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was in high school, there was this really cute girl I had a massive crush on. I met her when I was 15. She was 14. We met on the school bus. The only problem was that every time I would ask her out, she would say no. One day I plucked up the courage to ask her again. I thought maybe this is my chance. All right, I've asked her a few times. She said no, but, you know, we seem to be kind of getting along now. So, so maybe this is the day. And so I plucked up the courage to ask her again. And this is what she said to me. She said, the answer is no. The answer has always been no. The answer will always be no. Don't ever ask me again. So I'm not stupid. So I took the hint. Until one night, about six years later, standing under a starry sky on Malulabar Beach, I asked that girl to marry me. And she said, the answer is no. It's always been no. I told you. She said, oh my gosh, yes. That's what I call having the last word. 25 years of marriage later, the last word. The title of this message is The Last Word. And I wonder who or what has the last word in your life. If we were to backtrack into history, around 730 years before Christ, the nation of Judah was preparing for war against an alliance of two other nations. The Bible says that the hearts of Judah's king Ahaz and all of his people were shaking, quivering like leaves on a tree. God, into this situation, God sent the prophet Isaiah to encourage King Ahaz to stand firm in faith, in trusting God. And yet even with nowhere else to turn, impossible odds against them, King Ahaz wasn't interested in asking for God's help. And so this is what God said to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, I just noticed something. Let me just fix that. We're good. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the verse we usually kind of talk about in the lead up to Christmas, right? The sign of Emmanuel was a prophecy with two meanings and two fulfillments. It was simultaneously a prophecy to the nation of Judah, God's people, and the situation they were facing. In other words, what what God was saying through the prophet Isaiah was this. In the amount of time it takes for a young woman to get married, get pregnant, and have a son, which she would call Emmanuel, these enemies you're worried about will be gone. 
Because God is with you and he keeps his promises. That's what he's saying. In, in that amount of time, the amount of time it takes for, uh, for, this, for a young girl to, to meet that man and be betrothed in marriage and then to marry him and then to conceive a child, then to have a child, even before that child is old enough to know right and wrong, in that amount of time, God is going to lay waste to your, your enemies, your problems, because he's with you and he's for you. That's a good promise. Right? That's a good prophecy to have come into them. But it also held a future meaning and a future fulfillment, which is the one we usually focus on. In speaking of the birth of Jesus through the Virgin Mary in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, uh, the angel said to Mary, all this, uh, sorry, this is, this is what uh, Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, and quotes this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God with us. He is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. He is the embodiment of all the fullness of the Godhead in Christ so that we can understand him. And the Bible tells us who Jesus is. If you're new to this and you're trying to figure out, well, I don't know. I mean, what's God really like? And, and who is he? And what's his nature like? And, and, and how should I see God? Read about Jesus. Get an insight into Jesus. See Jesus and you will see God. He is Emmanuel. God with us. So whether it's the brink of war in 700 BC Judah, whether it's a first century manger in Bethlehem, or whether it's 2023 in Kedron in Brisbane, God's promise is always the same. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's a great promise to have, isn't it? What, what a confidence that we can have if we know God is with us. And so that, like I was saying earlier, when you go to work, when you go to your campus, when you go into your family, you go into your sports club, you go into whatever community that involvement you have, when you go about your life, you can step in there saying, God, would you, would you make me the right person, the right place at the right time? Why? Not because of who we are, but because God with us. And yet, is it just me? Or have you ever noticed that so often when you get a great promise from God or a dream stirs in your spirit, or maybe you finally you step out and you take that step of faith, it just seems like life starts to go pear-shaped. Things start to not work out the way that you thought. There's obstacles and there's opposition and there's disappointments and there's, there's mistakes and there's failures and there's, there's roadblocks and there's speed humps. Anyone ever notice that? There's doubts, fears, worries. And maybe things actually seem to get harder before they get any easier. The guys are going to put this up on the screen. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 1 to 4, let me just read this to you. Then we're going to demonstrate something. In Isaiah chapter 8, so we're skipping forward just a little bit now from the, um, the promise. So God gave the promise first. 
And the time it takes for a young girl to get married, have a child, the child starts to grow. In that amount of time, God's going to do something. So they've got a great promise. And yet things don't seem to be getting better. And so the next chapter, we see this. The Lord said to me, to Isaiah the prophet, take a large scroll. It's almost like the idea of a a, a big sign in the city square. It's like take out a big billboard. Right? Take out, take out a big sign so everyone can see it and then write on it with an ordinary pen. In other words, make it unmissable and understandable. Just write, don't be all fancy, just write it out plain. And he said this, write this. We'll put this up on the, here we go. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Write this. Take this. Uh, take a big scroll. Put it up in the middle of town and write Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which means spoil speeds, plunder hurries. Spoil speeds, plunder. Who, who wants the prophet saying that into your life? Here's a word from God for you. Spoil speeds, plunder hurries. It, it, we'll come back to the phrase in a minute. What it means. He goes on and says. Uh, so I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah as reliable witnesses for me. Then I made love to the prophetess, and she, I don't know why he included that. <laughs> it's like some guys just have to talk themselves up, don't they? It's just, he's like, in the middle, he's given his prophecy, and he's like, by the way, just wanted you to know. <laughs> then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son, and the Lord said to me, Name him. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Now, this phrase, if we can put it back up on the screen. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It means spoil speeds, plunder hurries. It's actually two phrases that are synonymous. It's Maher Shalal and Hashbaz. They're synonymous with each other. Essentially, they both mean trouble. Trouble. Trouble, trouble. Anyone got some trouble? Anyone got some trouble, trouble? And he says, he names, God says to him, name your son, Meheshel al-Hashbaz. How good is that? Name your son, trouble. And not just trouble, but trouble, trouble. This kid is big trouble. He's representing huge trouble because God's going to do something. He's going to cause trouble to come on your enemies. That's, that's what he's saying. So the promise has come, but before the promise, there comes trouble, trouble. We don't really like trouble, do we? Anyone like trouble? They really like trouble. Miranda, do you get in much trouble? No? Never? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. You just don't seem like trouble. We don't really like trouble. We don't really like anything that's uncomfortable. We don't really like pain, do we? We pretty much do everything we can to avoid anything that we don't like. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes that trouble that you've experienced, it's actually God trying to get your attention. Does God cause the trouble? No. Does he use the trouble? Yes. 
Because I absolutely believe the promise of the word of God that all things are working together for my good because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all those things are good. Some of those things are bad. Some of those things are disappointing. Some of those things are wrong. Some of those things are unfair. Some of those things are unjust. But he's using all those things and working them all together for my good. So we don't really like trouble, but God will use our trouble to get our attention. We received a prayer request one day. It said this, please pray that nothing bad ever happens in my family, that no one ever gets sick or ever gets hurt or ever has any problems and that we will just be blessed. Now, why not? I mean, you know, Set your expectation. Ask God for what you want. Believe for the impossible. But it just seemed to me like the, the, the tone behind that is, I just don't want any trouble. God, can you just let everything be nice? When in fact, God can use our trouble to see something great come about. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. What a great promise. A promise from Jesus himself. Here's good news for you. You're going to have trouble. There you go. But take heart. Why? For I have overcome the world. The psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I'll fear no evil. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a, between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God. I love that. He's not just God in a distance. He's not just God out there. He is God, our personal God. And I'm believing today that there are going to be some people here who are going to encounter God for yourself personally, perhaps even for the very first time. You're going to get to this point where you say, you know what? I need to know God. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to receive his goodness into my life because I realize I can't do this on my own. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Trouble, trouble. Trouble, trouble, double trouble, trouble everywhere. You might look around your life at the moment and go, oh, that's trouble, that's trouble, that's trouble, he's trouble, she's trouble, they're trouble, there's trouble. I'm just surrounded by trouble. You open the, you know, you, you get your bill from whoever, and it's like, oh, well, there's trouble. You, you, your interest rate goes up, well, there's trouble. You get that letter, that's trouble. You get that notice, that's trouble. You have a meeting with your boss, that's trouble. You have a meeting with your wife, that's trouble. You have a meeting with, it's just like trouble, trouble. Your kid comes home from school, they bring their, it's like, oh, there's trouble. Yeah, they, they report card, there's trouble. The teacher says, we need an interview. There's trouble. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. They've received a promise. Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, right now, it's trouble, trouble. Oh, Meher Shalal Hashbaz is the gap between your expectation and what you're experiencing. It's the uncertainty between the promise and the possession. Mahesh al is, it's the boss who overlooked you. 
It's the restructure that retrenched you. It's the income that dried up for you. The family who rejected you. The friend no longer talking to you. The heartbreak that still hurts you. The disappointment tormenting you. The betrayal that nearly broke you. The failure haunting you. The grief overtaking you. The loneliness that says there is no one for you. It's the approval never shown to you. The recognition overdue to you. It's the diagnosis of no cure for you. The addiction still trapping you. It's the shame condemning you. The sin entangling you. The deferred hope frustrating you. And it's the impossibility blocking you. That's Meher Shalal Hashbaz. But then listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 10, in the message paraphrase, it puts it this. So they've got the promise. Now there's trouble, trouble. And now look what God says. Through the prophet, he said, plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words. Because when all is said and done, just put the iPad back up there. Plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words, because when all is said and done, the last word is what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Over the, the statement of trouble, Meher Shalal Hashbaz written in the city forever under sea. There's trouble coming. There's trouble coming. There's trouble, trouble. You're surrounded by trouble. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, Emmanuel, God with us. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're believing for, I want you to know the last word is Emmanuel. Yes, there might be some trouble, but the last word is Emmanuel. God is with you. Proverbs 16.1 says, Mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. 1 Peter 3.22 says, Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He has the last word on everything and everyone. He is Emmanuel. He's the embodiment of Emmanuel. And he will have the last word. Alana was told by doctors that she would never be able to have children. Three children later, the last word is Emmanuel. My parents were told my younger sister wouldn't live through the night. 40 years later, the last word is Emmanuel. I prayed just in the last few weeks for a police officer who desperately needed a transfer to another location. But they'd been blocked over and over and over. There was no way through. I said, look, I'll pray for you. He said, I'm not religious. I said, I'll pray for you. Well, just a couple of weeks later, the last word is Emmanuel. And he said, I got the transfer. I said, don't forget. We prayed about that. Well, I prayed about that. Don't you forget. What have you been told? What have you been told? Oh, you'll never. You could never. That will never. 
that's a, that's a dead end. That's blocked. That's impossible. That's not going to happen. That's not going to open. That's done. That's done away with. There is no possibility there. There's no breakthrough there. There's, what have you been told? Who has the last word in your life? What do you need to have Emmanuel superimposed over in your life today? In a few moments, we're going to pray. We're going to believe for God to have the last word in some situations you're facing. When we choose to welcome him in as the last word in our lives and in our troubles, it changes how we see our troubles. It changes our perspective. Because we know, well, he's got the last word. And so if it's not done yet, well, he hasn't finished yet. Because he's got the last word. It changes how we see it, changes how we face it, changes how we overcome it. So that's a great concept, right? That, that's nice. But what do we do with that? What do we take away from here and say, okay, I can put this into practice in my life this week. What do we do while we're waiting for God to have the last word? Number one, real simple. I hope you're taking some notes. You should take notes every time we're in church. I take notes on every sermon I hear. The good ones, the bad ones, the average ones, the great ones, the terrible ones. Because God always speaks to us through his word. What do we do while we're waiting? Because Meher Shalal Hashbaz, that's the in-between. That's the time of waiting. What do we do? Number one, if he's going to have the last word, let's read the word. Let's read the word. Let's let God's word be the last word in our life. Get God's word into us. We read it and we let it read us. So starting point, let's read the word. When was the last time you read the word? You, you said, God, I need you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me. And not as a, you know, a desperate uh, flick and pick and God, I need something. No, but just, God, I'm, I'm starting every day reading your word. Little tiny things. Years ago, my habit every morning when I would wake up, I would wake up, I'd get my phone, and I'd start through my social media apps. All right, I'd see what's happening on Instagram, what's happening on Facebook, what's happening on Twitter or X, uh, what's happening in the news, what happened in the sport overnight, and I'd go through all of that and then go about my day. And then just a little, simple, tiny change. Hey, you might think, well, gee, you, that's, I mean, you should be spiritual enough to know this. You're a pastor and all that. But it's a little simple change. Readjusting the order of the apps. Let's put the Bible app first. First thing in the morning. Every day. Start there. Little tiny thing. That was years ago. Little tiny habit. Start the day with the word of God. Just a little tiny thing. You've got to find what works for you. What time works for you? How are you, how are you going to do that? But get, let's get the word of God into us. It's living and active. His word sustains us. His word guides us. His word leads us. His word transforms us. His word renews us. Read the word. Number two, these are quite simple. Speak the word. Speak the word. What did, the, what did God say to him? He said, all your talk is mere talk. All your talk is just, it's just mere talk. It's empty words. 
All your talk is mere talk, empty words. Here's something that I've learned. Sometimes, a lot of times, we've got to stop speaking the facts and start speaking the truth. Stop speaking the facts and start speaking the truth. Because the fact is, there's sickness in my body, there's sickness in my family. The truth is, God is a healer. The fact is, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet this week. The truth is, he's my provider. The fact is, I feel alone and I feel disconnected. The truth is, he sets the solitary in families. He is with me. He is for me. The fact is, I can't see how I'm going to get through this. The truth is, he's the one who goes before me. But we, tend, we spend so much time speaking the facts and we overlook the truth. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, humanly speaking, it's impossible. Humanly speaking. I just think we've got to stop speaking humanly so much. Because when God created the universe, he did it with what? He did it with a word. He spoke the word and flung galaxies into place. And then he's put that same ability in us. He's put his word in our mouths and his word is potent. His word is like a seed that deposits into something and brings something to life and it turns things around. Why? Not because of who we are, but the power of God's word. And we have the ability to speak his word into our situation, to speak his life over what we're facing, but we spend so much time speaking the facts and humanly speaking. And Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So we read the word because we can't speak the word if we don't read the word. You can't speak the word if we don't get the word into us. We read the word. We speak the word. We pray the word. Pray the word. When we pray, let's pray the word of God. You think, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to say. Just start to pray the promises of God. I don't know what to pray. Start to, start to pray the Bible. It will change your prayer life. The prayer is, oh, God, I hope this. And God, I hope that. And God, I hope... No, 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 start to declare, start to pray the word of God. When we pray, it aligns our internal world with the word of God. Read the word, speak the word, pray the word, and know the word. Now, when I say know the word, I don't mean like a, you know, a Sunday school Bible verse memory kind of thing. It's not, I, I know it. I've learned it. I can, I can repeat it by rote. No, know the word. What's the most dangerous distance in the world? The distance from here to here. We can know it up here, but not know it in here. It's not real to us. God is, what did we say right back earlier? He is a personal God. What a great thing that our God is a personal God. God, the only God of any belief system around the world or throughout history where God has been personal, where he brought himself down for the sake of his creation. He lowered himself to lift us up. He's 
personal. He's intimate. He's interested. He wants to connect with you. He wants to know you. When we're singing, when we're worshipping, it's not just singing words. It's, it's personal connection. It's personal relationship. He's not a spare tire in, a, in an emergency that we go looking for. We have, we have a flat, we have a blowout. And so oh, I've, got to, I've got to find some help from God. And then when things are good, I've kind of put him away again. It's, it's, he wants to be personal. He wants to be involved. He wants to allow us to know him. What a great thought. When we know the word, this is when this becomes a personal relationship with Jesus, who is the word of God, with Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Team can come. I wonder what trouble you're facing. I wonder what trouble, trouble you're facing. And you know what? Here's the thing. Right now you might say, you know, I'm good. No trouble. I'm all about that base. No trouble. That's terrible. (laughs) You might be sitting here thinking... I have no trouble. Things are good. Work's good. Finances are good. My health is good. My family's good. Relationships are good. Everything's good. I doubt there'd be anyone here who says everything is good. But if there is, that is awesome. Enjoy it for the moment. Because the reality of life is that trouble surrounds us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Let's not run from trouble. Let's not, let's not try and, you know, just shield ourselves and protect ourselves from any kind. No, trouble is a reality. But how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to face it? How are we going to walk through it? And, for, and, and, and first and foremost, who's going to have the last word in it? Are we going to keep trying to humanly speak over our trouble or are we going to allow Emmanuel to be superimposed over our trouble so that when the boss overlooks you Emmanuel is the one who promotes you when the restructure retrenches you Emmanuel is the one who restores you when the income dries up for you Emmanuel is the one who provides for you when the family rejects you Emmanuel is the one who loves you when that friend no longer talks to you Emmanuel is the one who hears you when the heartbreak still hurts to hurts you he is the one who holds you when the disappointment torments you. He's the one who strengthens you when the betrayal almost breaks you. He's the one who never leaves you nor forsakes you. When the failure haunts you, He's the one who lifts you. When the grief overtakes you, He's the one who comforts you. When loneliness says there is no one for you, He's the one who knows you. When the approval is never shown to you, He's the one who favours you. When the recognition is overdue for you, He's the one who rewards you. When the diagnosis says there is no cure for you, Emmanuel is the one who what? Heals you. 
When the addiction still traps you, He's the one who releases you. When the shame condemns you, He's the one who forgives you. When the sin entangles you, He's the one who saves you. When the deferred hope frustrates you, He's the one who satisfies you. And when the impossibility blocks you, Emmanuel is the one who makes a way for you. He is our way maker. He is our promise keeper. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray in just a moment. But let's just worship God for a minute. My God, that is who you are. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.